Welcome back to the Pathway Podcast. In this week's episode, lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan wraps up our series on the book of James. Well, I hope you had a uh, great weekend. It was hot yesterday, but I enjoy walking outside early this morning and feeling a little bit of a chill. Uh, I am always ready for fall to get here, but you don't have to worry because today and tomorrow are all a lie. Uh, it's just to make you think it's here, but by the end of next week, next weekend, I'll, I'll be preaching and I'll be hitting 90 degrees outside again. So summer's not gone. It's never gone. It pretends it's gone, but it always comes back. But fall is getting closer. However, the one thing that is here this week, as Maddie talked about, is the start of our small groups. We're excited about those and, uh, uh, we really want to connect with people when they come and worship with us. And I know sometimes if you're here and you've been visiting for a little while and you're like, I'm not sure if I like these people yet, that it takes a little bit for you to make that jump. But what better way to find out if you do like us than to, you know, sit in a room and eat a plate of food and talk about the Bible together. But yeah, go online. You can look there. We've got some, uh, some information on the table in the back, right on the back wall. Uh, next to the, uh, the coffee mugs. I'm not a coffee drinker either, but great mugs, great information. Uh, and we would love for you to try, try one small group out this week, try another one the next week, try a few of them out, or just land on one if you want to. But uh, anyway, we would love to get connected with you that way. So I wanna go ahead and jump into James chapter one. We'll be in verse 19. Uh, that's where we're gonna start today. And before I kind of talk a little bit about the book of James and, and everything else on our series of what God's wisdom reveals Um, let's just go ahead and read these nine verses for today. So James is writing to them and he says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the, the word of God is planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So, again, book of James, we've talked a little bit about it, just about its history and everything else, because next week we start a series called Dead Faith, right? And so when I talk about a series over the next few weeks that that we're talking about the idea of dead faith, it's why every Sunday I'm going to make clear that that is, James is not telling us that if our lives aren't perfect or that if we're not doing enough good or that if we continue to mess up that somehow we, we aren't going to heaven. Everybody enters this world not going to heaven, right? The thing that changes that is whether or not we trust in Jesus as Savior, whether or not we believe that he is who he said he is and that he's done what he said he would do and that if we just believe in his sacrifice, not our good works, not anything we can bring to the table, That if we just believe in him, that that's what he asks. And that he will give us a home with him in heaven for an eternity. And so I point that out every week because the book of James can sometimes be tough. 
It can be sometimes be tough, and it's why a lot of people didn't like it. Uh, back even when it was written, and people uh, in the last few hundred years have even you know openly talked about their dislike for the book. Um, it was written about 45 to 48 A.D. Uh, by James, the half-brother of Jesus. Um, some people dispute about which James it was, but I really think that that's who wrote it. Um, he made it clear in the very first verse of the book who he was writing it to, and he was writing it to Jewish believers that were scattered abroad, right, that were out all over that part of the world. And so he wasn't writing it with the intent that this scripture was to be used to try and convince people they needed to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. That wasn't his intent. It wasn't who he was writing it to. He was writing it to fellow Jewish people who had trusted in Jesus Christ, believed he was the Messiah, were following him, but were struggling like all the rest of us do to make our life reflect the glory of God. And so that's what this book was about. It was about writing to these individuals to, to tell them, hey, you need to get some stuff fixed. And that's why in only 108 verses, there's 54 calls to action, which is another reason people don't like the book because it gets down deep into some of our characteristics and some of the things that we fail at the most. And so the book of James can be a difficult read if you do what he tells us to do today, which is reflect on ourselves, which is use the word of God as a spiritual mirror to be able to take a look at who we really are, what we really look like out there. Um, you know, I, um, as, as a parent, you know, you teach your kids some things um, on purpose, some things on accident, right? They pick up good habits, they pick up bad habits, and then sometimes you teach them very important skills. And one time, me and my dad, when I was younger, it was a Saturday. I don't know why he was with us because he was never with us when this happened, but only on this, like, one occasion was my dad forced to spend eight to nine hours with me while my mom and my sister shopped. I did it all the time, all the time. This is back in the days before there were cell phones, so there was no games to play. There were arcades where you could spend, you know, a ton of money, but I was too young, my mom wouldn't let me go on my own. And so I would have to go and sit in store after store or like in the middle section while they did all these stores and so they could see me and just never move and just be bored to death. Literally bored to death. That's what I thought when I was a kid. Um, I, I prayed for the colony shop. When we went to the colony shop, they gave you a free Coke. It was, it was magnificent. But the rest of the time, I just sat there in the mall. People did that back then. They went to malls, spent a lot of time there, and they never bought anything. My mom and my sister would shop all day and never buy anything. It was the most frustrating experience of my young life, and it happened over and over. But on this one glorious day, my dad came, and he was worse than I was fidgety, complaining, everything else. So he taught me. We're sitting there in the middle of the mall, and at first, he taught me the game of trying to roll pennies as far as we could down the mall and see who could go the furthest. And that was fun until one guy, like, stepped on the penny, and it snapped really hard, and it scared him. That was hilarious. <laughs> then somebody stepped on a penny. It almost made them fall. They almost, like, twisted their ankle, and it was gonna be one of those scenes, like the Mayhem commercials where he grabs you know, one of the kiosks and everything falls over. So we quit that game. Um, and then dad said, all right. He said, I want you to learn how to watch people. And I want you to learn how to watch what people do and just study people. I was a little kid. I didn't think it was that it was going to be fun, but we did. We sat there and we just watched people walking through the mall. And you could tell that couple's been fighting. Yep, yep. You can watch them walk down the mall. They've been fighting. 
And you could see this kid, and you're like, yep, he just stole something out of his mom's purse. Doesn't even know it. You know, and you watch all this go on. But one of the things that I noticed is that anytime people walked by a store where there was a mirror, they paused or they walked slower. They always stopped to see themselves, right? And of course, you would have people walking through the mall. Maybe they're like me. Maybe they're carrying a little extra weight in the middle and they'd walk and they'd see the mirror. And they would go like that. For a little while, they were taller, they were skinnier, but the mirror went away and their gut came back. And, you know, people would stop every once in a while and they'd fix their hair. They'd do that. They would straighten stuff and everything else. And, uh, you know, and you'd think, guys, you're out here saying, yeah, mostly the women did that. Guys did it too. Oh, the guys that would go up. Because the guys hurried to leave the house and they didn't look and notice there was something in their teeth or that their hair was horrible. And so they spent more time there sometimes than the women did. Um, but it was always interesting and, it, and you can do a social experiment, right? Go sit at the mall. You and there's like eight people there. So it'll, but you can sit there and you can watch people go by. Find somewhere there's a mirror. Find somewhere in public. And it's just interesting to watch people and how seeing our reflection changes us in that moment. And so what we've been looking at in the book of James so far is how God's wisdom reveals things about our life, Right? And so this whole, this whole year, we're talking about different aspects of wisdom. And the, the start of this book is how his wisdom reveals things in our life. In the very start of the book of James, we talked about um, that, it, that wisdom, God's wisdom, is not hidden. He offers to give it freely to all of us. But he says you can't be, you know, the idea of being double-minded. And the idea of being double-minded is, is that God says he will give you wisdom but only if you're willing to follow it, right? Because he was writing to people here who believed in God. It wasn't that they were deciding between, you know, God and some other religion or God and whether or not to, you know, be an atheist or anything else. No, they all believed in God. They all believed in Jesus. Our struggle is deciding whether or not when we hear the word of God, we're gonna say yes or if we just let it be an option, right? We're gonna take God's word, and we're also going to compare it to what we think we want to do. That's being double-minded. You can't expect to get God to give you his wisdom if that's how you're going to approach it. Last week, we talked about how God's wisdom will help us resist temptation. You know, the idea of being tempted is not so much that we have to watch. And the scripture tells us to watch out for, you know, the devil because he wants to hurt us and everything else. But I'm really not fighting against Satan. I'm really not fighting against anybody else that puts temptation in front of me. I'm fighting against my own desires. I'm not tempted with the things I don't desire. I'm not tempted with the things that I don't want in my sinful self. And so I'm fighting against me. And so God's wisdom tells us that he'll grant it if we're willing to follow, and if not, why would he give it? To fight temptation, do what Jesus said, and remove that temptation out of our life. Don't keep it within touch, within smell within sight remove it from our life because what we desire is hard to overcome and then today is to allow God's word to be that spiritual mirror not to walk by it and ignore it but to stop and look at ourselves and as everybody does in the normal life right when you look in the mirror if your hair's all messed up you don't just usually go yeah all right and walk away you try to fix it right you try to do something but James is saying spiritually, a lot of times we ignore the reflection. 
Now, in these nine verses, they're kind of all over the place, right? Book of James, 108 verses, 54 commands, calls to action. So I want you to understand, though, that these nine verses kind of fit well together. The start and the end of them kind of fit, and then the middle explains it. So back in verse 19, he said, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it is the power to save your souls. And then skip the verses about the reflection and down to verse 26. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion on the side of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So the beginning and the end of this passage talks about the problem he's addressing, which is our speech. It's what it comes out of our mouth. Because what comes out of our mouth represents us greatly. It's hard to run from the words that we put out there for everybody to hear. Right? That's how we're judged. Not with our intentions, not with how great of a person we are on the inside. No, it's all those words we let come to the outside that people rightfully judge us with. They can't judge how good of a person our grandmother thinks we are. They can't judge how good of a person we think we are. They can only judge what we put out there in front of them to see and to hear. So James is saying that our words can get us into trouble. And then in verse 26, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. We'll get into dead faith starting next week. And we'll really talk about taming the tongue, I think it's October 9th is when we're finally going to kind of get to that subject within this book. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this part today because I really want the solution, right? So the problem is that a lot of times what's on the inside isn't as good as we think. And it comes out in the things that we say. And people look at what we say and judge whether or not we're given a reflection of God. Or worse yet, they know we're believers and their reflection of God that they see is the bad coming out of us. And James is saying that's the biggest problem, right? Because other believers may see you and see what we do and say, you know, I understand that they just messed up, but God is good and God is perfect. And us believers, we we mess up all the time. And so that's not God's reflection, But someone who doesn't believe in God or doesn't believe in Jesus, when they see that poor reflection of the grace and the love and the care of Jesus Christ coming out of his followers, that's their picture of who God is. And so that's why James is telling them, get this stuff straight. So the problem is, sometimes what you're putting out there doesn't give a good reflection of who God is. And so, simple solution Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Humbly accept the word of God is planted in your hearts. Done. Right? Simple solution. Easy to follow. So the whole part of scripture is that none of it is that hard to understand, but it is difficult to do. And so that gets to the how, which is really what today's today's scripture is about. And the how is to look at ourselves truthfully, to really examine who we are, what we do, what we look like to the outside world, right? Sometimes you see yourself in the mirror or you see yourself in a picture or something like that and you're like, I didn't know I looked like that, right? So I didn't realize that the hair was going that back that fast. 
I didn't realize that the wrinkles were coming in as quick as they were. I didn't realize, you know, all those other things. And then you see that picture, you see that reflection, and it happens. So, now a lot of you see a lot of pictures of yourself, right? It's called selfies. And a lot of you put those out there, and that's fine. I'm not a selfie guy. I've taken a handful, usually with my family. We're on a trip somewhere. Um, But I like Photoshop, so I'll take the picture of the landscape, and then I'll just Photoshop us in over there. Like we pretend that we're pointing. Like uh, all the social media, whoever's doing Pathways social media this week, all the different small group posts and um, everything. But selfies are not new. They're not new, all right? They're just a lot more rapid pace today. Because back in the 1600s, selfies were a thing. They were a huge thing. Um, First example, let's go ahead and uh, throw up Vincent. This is Vincent Van Gogh. Back in the 1500s, 1600s, painters did a whole lot of self-portraits. Like a lot of them for a period of time. Um, and self-portraits are always seen as some of the most difficult things to do. Um, especially this one. His motivation for painting this one was like days after he got released out of a hospital after cutting off part of his ear because of a horrible roommate dispute. Um, now, I was a college pastor for a number of years and now pastoring a church with you know, a lot of college students. I've, I've witnessed a lot of bad roommate disputes. No one has ever cut off an ear. Um, but Vincent had some other problems and he dealt with some um, growing mental illness throughout the rest of his life. But he did this portrait of himself as one of the most famous ones. However, probably my most, the, the self-portrait I like the most is the next one, Norman Rockwell, which I'm a Rockwell fan, right? I did my theory of art class and I understand that I shouldn't like him as well as I do as other famous painters because liking him means I have, you know, cheap tastes. But I like dogs playing poker. I like plenty of other great works. And, uh, but Norman Rockwell painted for the Saturday, or, you know, illustrated for the Saturday Evening Post for 47 years. And, and he captures Americana and just little life scenes all the time. And so in his 44th year, they asked him to paint a picture of himself that would go on the cover. They were going to do a biography about him. Um, and so, you know, after four decades, they figured it was time. And so he did this, and it's called uh, the Triple Self-Portrait. And, uh, you know, with everything he did, he, he, it was all serious. There was kind of a little message behind it, but also humor, uh, which is why I liked his art. Um, but possibly the most famous 1600s selfie taker of all was Rembrandt. So Rembrandt, and the reason that this is the one that I always think of is because, and I texted some of my cousins this morning to verify, and we know that this isn't the picture I think it was Rembrandt, but he had more of a three musketeers top hat. I couldn't find the picture. He's done like 80 to 90 self-portraits of himself, uh, but the coloring is all the same and all that other stuff. It may not have been Rembrandt. It may have been a Rembrandt, you know, one of those cheap knockoff Dutch painters, kind of like the Gucci bags you buy at Central Park and stuff like that. But um, it was hanging behind my grandmother's chair in her house, so I know it was not an original um, because my grandmother's house would not even buy the frame. But I know it was not an original, but this picture hung up there forever and I never really understood why she liked it. There weren't like any other paintings in the house except for that one, but Gran loved it. And so that's where it hung behind there. And so I remember when I started taking art history that I saw all of his, you know, portraits, self-portraits. And so I looked into it a little bit and you know, different motivations about why he did it, but the ones later in his age, you know, he kind of had three periods. His young period, where all of his selfies 
were to show him as this young, vibrant, smiling, you know, happening, upcoming artist, right? He's the cool guy everybody loves and wants to be around. So very much more Instagram type stuff. Uh, then uh, later in life, um, in kind of his middle period, he settled in. It was a little more skilled and everything else. And, he, and all of his portraits were a little more serious. And they showed him to be kind of successful and kind of this respectable person. And you see this trend go through his life. And then at the end, in his later life, when he did most of his self-portraits, he was older. And the detail was finer, right? And they said that he was trying to, and this is all art theory, so most of it's made up. Because he didn't say this himself. But if you look at it, there, it does follow a pattern. And towards the end, it was just more serious, examining the, the quirks uh, that age bring on your face and your skin tone and everything else and just all the imperfections. He got very, very precise on those. And you could tell that the older he got, the more time he spent reflecting on his true image and trying to bring it out on the canvas. Now, for us, that progression I've always loved learning about that because we can tend to go through the same formula when it comes to God's word. Is that we like God's word, but we're more concerned at different stages of our life about appearing, about finding happiness and showing off our happiness and energetic and everything else. That's when all the filters are used, right? He didn't use any filters on his. If he had had photo filters, his stuff would have really sold. Um, but we show ourselves in that part of our life, we're more worried about the excitement of life and we maybe don't pay as attention to how close a reflection we're giving to God's character. As we get a little bit older, we take a little bit more serious and then maybe when we've experienced some things, some mess ups, some successes, we realize that our life maybe isn't everything we thought it was gonna be. We realize that maybe we aren't the person that we thought we were gonna be. Maybe we reflect a little bit harder and what James is trying to get them to understand is that if we start that process early, right? If we start that self-reflection more deeply, more completely, the earlier in life, then the more chances there are that we are going to figure out how to make changes to reflect God's character. And so in James chapter 1 and verse 22, he said, Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Again, James is, you know, simple, simple formula, right? Just quit doing all the bad stuff, start doing all the good stuff, and you fixed all the problems. But the how is the difficult part. And the only way that we are going to be successful at reminding ourselves of the things that we need to change about our life and the things that maybe we need to do differently are if we continue to look into God's word, talk to God through prayer, and we use those things in worshiping him to remind us of the character of God and to help us see where we are missing the mark. You know, when people say that, you know, that we can, you know, look at ourselves and that we're perfect the way we are or we're fine the way we are, I understand the sentiment, right? The truth is, is that you're loved the way you are. That God loves you 
Whoever you are, wherever you're at in life, whatever good you're doing, whatever wrong you're doing, he loves you. But none of us are perfect and none of us will be perfect. And the trap that we don't need to fall into is ignoring the spiritual mirror of God's word and telling ourselves we're okay when the reflection we're giving off to the world is not okay. That's the trap that we fall into for multiple reasons. Number one, we like our life. We don't want to change our life. We don't want to address those hard things in life. We don't want to ruffle any feathers with people who may not like the changes that we start making about ourselves. It may also be that, that we're afraid that if we see a bad reflection it, 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 and we try to do something about it, that we'll fail. And that failure will just crush us inside and we won't try again. No, you're loved how you are right now by God and by people who love God. Because if God loves you and they love God, they're supposed to love you too, right? And if you can't find people like that, find different people, right? Find different people. I can tell you there's some people like that in this room, and I can also tell you that some of us in this room will let you down. However, that's only because we're imperfect too. Show us that reflection. Let us know where we failed. Because it's important for us to show God's love to everyone so that they know, yes, they need to try, but even when they fail, that they're loved by God and they'll be loved by God's people. However, we all have things in our reflection to change. And so James is begging them not to ignore it, right? He said, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. It's like the people walking into a room and they've been fighting and yelling at each other and everything else. Saw this in the mall too, right? Those couples walking by, you could tell they're fighting and they're glancing at something. They're muttering stuff under their breath. And then they're walking by somebody else and they're passing them. And when they get where they think they're in real eye shot or ear shot that they all perk up and they're all smiles and nice and hey, how are you? and All that stuff. And as soon as they walk by, they're back to just looking at each other and I want you to die, and, right? <laughs> it was fun. My dad taught me that and it was fun sitting in the mall watching people. It was more interesting than I thought. Still not as good as the arcade, but it was close. That's because... Those individuals at that moment in time simply didn't want everybody else to see the fight, right? The flaw, the problem in their life, the problem in their relationship. We don't want anyone else to see it. And sometimes our solution is just not to even see it ourselves. To make sure that when people are looking and when people are watching, that we shape up, that we try to do right. But when we're by ourselves and we're not looking in a mirror, we go back to who we were. And we forget about what God has shown us that we need to change. We forget about what other people have, are, are seeing when they look at us. And we just don't try. The problem is, is for those people, there's a young boy and his dad's completely bored on a Saturday afternoon on a couch watching them. And there's always people who see us when we don't see them and when we're not looking into a mirror. And that's what James is trying to get these believers to understand. You know, in John chapter 8, it says that Jesus said to the people who believed in him, in John 8, 31, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The book of James is a high bar to cross, right? Salvation is not. 
But the book of James and what he says that you need to do to try and truly show your love for God or what even Jesus says here to truly call yourself a disciple. A disciple is not simply a believer. A disciple is a student. It's a follower and a student. A lot of people believed, but very few people were willing to completely follow Jesus and be his student and fellow servant. But if you want to be a disciple... You must remain faithful to his teachings. And as James said, that we can't walk away and forget, but we need to do what it says and don't forget what we heard. James says, and we'll hit this later in James chapter 4, verse 17, but it's the verse that really follows throughout the entirety of Scripture. It says, remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So it's knowing what we should do and then not now, right, now James says, hey, y'all are messing up in your speech, right? And if the things that you say, if the words that come out aren't godly, then your religion is worthless. So what, what should you do? Well, I would think when James is talking about speech and he's talking about the things we say, that he would, he would say the thing we should do is address what we say. But he says, no, take care of widows and orphans, right? James, like the book of Proverbs, just rapid fire. It's truth, 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 truth but it's not always like a seamless narrative. But he was trying to point out to them, y'all think you're good, but think about the things that you've said lately, right? Let that be your spiritual mirror. And you, you all think you're great. You think you're doing good. So I'm going to give you the one thing you can't dispute. How are you taking care of widows and orphans? Right? It's not like that that's the only good thing, right? It's not like that's the only thing. He's just trying to get them to understand that you're not as good as maybe you think you are or have even convinced other people that you are. Let God's word be a spiritual mirror. And if you think that you're doing okay, I can find something that you're not. If you think you're doing everything you need to, I can find something that you've let fall through the cracks. Widows and orphans. So there are plenty of great things we can do, and there are plenty of things we need to fix. James's point by sometimes going to the extremes and really hard words is just that we don't forget to try, right? If you're gonna measure yourself by being perfect, which is part of what we have to do, right? Because we measure ourselves by Jesus. But if you're only gonna be happy once you're perfect, then you'll never be happy. But if you try, earnestly try, right? Not being double-minded, not pretending to try, and really we're fine with failure, not keeping the temptation close. We can touch it. We can smell it. We can see it. Not by asking God for wisdom, but we don't really intend to fully say yes. We just intend for God's wisdom to be an option. If we truly try not doing all those other things, we will start to be happy with the reflection that we see. And the reflection that we give to others will be one that honors God. That's what James wanted them to accept. Now, if you're here and you're a believer, like James is writing to, right? That he was writing to believers and he was trying to get them to understand we have a job to do and our job is to be as much like Jesus Christ as we can be. And when we're like Jesus Christ, we're gonna love other people. We're gonna talk to other people about the gospel. We're going to do all these other things. We're gonna keep our relationship with God as, as, as close as it can be, right? That's the point of James, in that, so if you're a believer, that is what God is calling us to do. And, and the number one thing, right, 
doesn't start with just going and doing nice good things, right? That's what we do off to give a good reflection right now. But it's changing us from the inside out, and that's by taking hard self-reflection at who we are every day, all day, right? Who we are when we wake up, go to bed, everything in between, when we think people aren't watching, and when we're trying to ignore what we see in the mirror. It's taking that hard self-reflection. That's what James is calling us to do. And that's what will bring us closer to God and bring him more glory. 2 Corinthians 5.17, though, if you're here and you haven't made that decision to trust in Jesus Christ or you've got questions, right? Scripture tells us that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, it said that this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life is begun. I want to tell you that if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, that no amount of trying to do good things will give you that new life. No amount of trying to make that reflection look as picture perfect as a Norman Rockwell painting, right? Nothing you do will be good enough to give you that new life. It only comes by belonging in Christ. It only comes through faith. His grace, it's a free gift to us through our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. And so if you are here and you haven't made that decision, I want you to understand that once you believe in Jesus Christ as your savior, everything will not be perfect. And no matter how hard you try, you won't be perfect. But the great thing about it is that's not what God asks. All he wants from you to give you an eternity with him in heaven is your faith. To just choose him over saying no. If you're here today and you haven't made that choice, I would love to talk to you. As our worship team comes forward and we prepare for a time of response, reflecting Christ is not a prerequisite for salvation, but it's what God has called us to. If you're here, though, and you aren't a new creature, right? You haven't accepted Jesus as Savior. You can try and try and try, and it'll never be fulfilling. First step is saying yes to Jesus. As we worship, I'll be standing over here, and I would love to talk to you about making that step. But maybe you're here and you've made that step. Maybe you made it a long time ago. You're a believer. You're one of those people that James was writing to. And he's saying you need to take this life a little more seriously. You need to take looking at yourself a little more seriously and honestly.